0: Welcome to One Bills Live. Sorry for that hiccup there right at the top of the show. Had a power outage, a power surge. We have high winds here in western New York today. Must have had some fun with one of the Transformers down the street. Um, so we are uh, back. So uh, good to have you with us here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you as per usual. As we are in Wild Card playoff week. And there is already some official news coming out of Pittsburgh And we were anticipating this, Steve, but it is now official. Head coach Mike Tomlin of the Steelers has officially ruled T.J. Watt out for Sunday's game against the Bills at 1 o'clock. He suffered a knee injury, sprained MCL, grade 2, in last week's game against the Ravens. Friendly fire injury, but is expected to miss this week's game. So that is 19 sacks off the board for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's that's big. So I work with Brownie every
1: day. I can always tell when something big happens. The first thing out of the box is the thing he thinks is the biggest thing about this game, and I agree with him today. That's big. T.J. Watt not playing in this game really hurts the Steelers. It's a defensive player of the there's, year. There's no there's no two ways about it. Um, that guy's a wrecker, a game wrecker. Um, it's Let me just say this. It's one thing for the Steelers to play Mason Rudolph instead of uh, Kenny Pickett. There ain't nobody coming off the bench for T.J. Watt that's even in his stratosphere. This guy's at, a, alone at that. So that that's big for the Steelers. At, we've got now we're starting to think. Okay, wait a minute. Now we, it's almost to the point where this, it's it can't be an easy game. It's never going to be an easy game. But oh my goodness, it certainly feels like it got a lot different with T.J. Watt getting sidelined. That's unbelievable. They've got to be like,
0: pfft. yeah. And sometimes you catch those breaks and it helps you advance in the playoffs. So, you know, the Bills, you know, and I don't even think their fans would wish any ill will to any player. You don't want to see players get hurt, but not seeing TJ Watt breathing down Josh Allen's neck for 50 plays, 60 plays on Sunday, I think is something that Bills fans will consider a gift this week. So bills are fortunate it's unfortunate for the steelers obviously this week's wild card game incidentally against the steelers is presented by this year's playoff presenting sponsor Northtown automotive companies the official automotive dealer of the buffalo bills we are awaiting further clarification on the injuries that the bills sustained in sunday's win over the dolphins namely gabe davis rasul douglas tyrell dodson Ty Johnson and safety Taylor Rapp, who got injured on the interception right at the end of the game. All of those players dealing with injuries. Head coach Sean McDermott, when he addressed the media Monday afternoon, said, you know, getting back home late, you know, Sunday into Monday. We landed at like 5 a.m. on Monday. So full evaluations had not yet been completed on all five injured players. So head coach Sean McDermott said he would have more information for everybody when he addresses the media again on Wednesday. So we'll probably get the lowdown on the severity uh, or the degree of injury for each of those five players coming out of the Dolphins game on Sunday. So something to keep an eye on, and we'll obviously do that for you here on One Bills Live. The Wednesday injury report usually comes out before we are off the air Wednesday, so we'll try to make sure we have that update for you as soon as it is released.
1: Is it, it's a little, it was a little amazing in that game, and I haven't really thought about that. We talked about it at length in, in the postgame, and it's, a lot's been made of it in the media about, you know, how the injuries hit and how, you know, Spector stepped up, um, uh, Vandermark stepped up, um, Dane Jackson stepped up. All these guys got in, nicked up during the game, and we had to have guys come in and off. I, I, I got to tell you, that in a, in a different world, that's like catastrophic for some of these teams.
0: Right. And it was and the Bills like got better. Those guys were making plays. Yeah, Baylen Spector came in. He was a huge force in the run front. He and was a big I, part of the seven yards of rushing in the second half. Yeah, I mean, if Tyrell Dotson cannot play this week, I think he steps in again because this is a run first Steelers team. Yeah. And he is, in the eyes of the coaching staff, the better option against the run than rookie Dorian Williams, who's probably got a little bit better athleticism and probably serves them better in the passing game. Yeah, he's probably better defending in space. the pass. So, yeah, I would expect if, if Tyrell Dodson cannot go this week with the shoulder injury, I would anticipate it's Spectre again uh, that will play the bulk of the snaps in his absence. Uh, we should go around the NFL as well, which is presented by Kaleida Health, the official healthcare system of the Buffalo Bills. And there is news on the coaching front. We had Black Monday it's Black Tuesday for Titans head coach Mike Vrabel. He was fired today, about an hour ago. He led the Titans to the AFC title game a couple of years ago when they upset a 14-2 and Ravens team and then went to the AFC title game, had a 10-point lead on the Chiefs in Arrowhead in the AFC title game, and then the bottom fell out, and they ended up losing that game. Chiefs go to the Super Bowl. That's when Mahomes and Kelsey took over the game. Yes, which they had done for the most most of that time. That, I, the last two seasons, the guy was upside down. The 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 record was upside down. Five and twelve this year, I believe, was their record. And then uh, they were well below five hundred the year prior. And I think it was because they didn't do enough to maintain that roster. Had a couple of missed draft picks as well. Traylon Burks was a first round picket receiver. After they traded away AJ Brown, they tried to replace him with Traylon Burks, and it did not let's work. be honest, that did not work at yeah. all. They were six and eleven this year, and they were playing catch up, you know, the whole season. Yeah. Um, but this is a guy who is one of the best time management coaches going. Uh, that guy's end of game time management is spot on. He's really good at that. Really I would say good. it's one of his greatest assets.
1: And he also has some does the things that like he's the guy that forced the Patriots into timeouts. And then I don't know how he did it. I can't remember the exact scenario, but the he went from having went all the way to the two minute warning outside the two minute warning without ever running a play. He took like sixty seconds off the clock because he forced the. I can't remember exactly how it worked. It was it was brilliant was brilliant. Um, he kept taking a pen. I can't remember if he take- kept taking a penalty because they were going to punt or something like that, mm. and the clock kept running. And he forced the Patriots to keep calling timeouts to stop the clock. And it was just – I was like, wow, I didn't even know that was a rule. Mm. And
0: he's over there just looking over at his former coach and just strummed it. Now, of course, the concern here, and this was the first thought I had as soon as we saw Vrabel was fired by the Titans – I was thinking, well, there's your next New England Patriots head coach. That, that just made sense to me. So, um, yeah, for, Yes. The,
2: now, first, first nothing all, has
0: happened think, with Belichick as of yet. Right. But first it could all. happen pretty quickly now first that Frable's all, think, available.
1: First of all, you think Frable's going to be out of work for like five minutes. Right. And then you think, well, where's he going to go? And it's like, oh, my gosh, he played for Bill Belichick. Yeah, and Robert some, yeah, Kraft. and Robert Kraft. I don't know if I like that or not. But then there's you know now L. A. is in the in the mix, so, you know. So are some other teams. Carolina, although
0: that's shaping up to be a Jim Harbaugh destination. That's, the L. A. Chargers. Yeah, that's fine.
1: I think about that. You, that's a
0: heck of an A. F. C. West coaching. Andy Reid. Rundown. Sean Payton. Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. Best of luck, Raiders. And Antonio
1: <laughs> Pierce might be the guy in L. A. He might in, in Las Vegas. I mean, not L. A. He might. He may, he may keep that job. The players love him. They they want him. Uh, I don't know if they played
0: a ton better with him, but at oh, least the atmosphere I, I, was better. I think they did. I think uh-huh. they did. They hated Josh McDaniels. <laughs> I mean, let's well, be Well, okay, but
1: so th- would they have hated, you know, I mean, let's face it. They, McDaniels gets fired, like what, after – when was it? It was It was pretty early. It was like was it week early? seven, eight, somewhere okay. in there. So they got after the after the Detroit game when they lost their second game in a row. Pierce comes in against the Giants and wins, the Jets and wins, I think. Then they lost three straight, then they won a, yeah, so I don't know. They're They're playing with Aiden O'Connell at quarterback. They had a rookie. Five and four they were in the last nine games.
3: It's not okay. bad. Yeah.
0: All right. By Raiders standards, I guess. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I forgot to mention also the only other tidbit from Mike Tomlin. A couple of tidbits. One, with Minka Fitzpatrick injured, they they the last few weeks they had been transitioning Patrick Peterson from corner to safety. Right. And Coach Tomlin was asked about that because Minka Fitzpatrick's status is a little bit up in the air for this week's game. He was. I think he sat down and did not play last week. If I remember right, I'll have to double check that. But he said it is still an option for Peterson to transition back to corner, which would speak to Fitzpatrick's availability. So I think if Fitzpatrick is up, Peterson probably goes back to corner this week, which makes sense. You want two veterans in the lineup. Yeah. Um, and he also confirmed that Mason Rudolph is, in fact, going to start a quarterback he this week, he which I mean, was figured yeah. and yeah. anticipated.
1: You're going back to the Raiders for
0: just a moment, you think about this. Their last four games, mm-hmm. they were 3 and 1, and they beat
1: the Chargers, Chiefs, and Broncos in those last four games.
0: Swept the season. AFC West.
1: They swept the division. In and those four after
0: games. that last game, the fans in Allegiant Stadium were cheering AP, AP, right. AP, or we want AP, whatever, which is Antonio Pierce, obviously. So. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see if uh, Mark Davis is swayed by that or if he wants to go big game hunting. Right. You know? Because right now he's paying a, a staff to not work for him, or at least Josh McDaniels, and I think they fired one or two assistants along with him. So, yeah. The head coaching carousel is a spinning. Yeah, it is. There's um, another job just opened up, Tennessee. Tennessee.
1: I I, I got to tell you,
0: I'm shocked. I was a little surprised by I've got, that.
1: You know, there's a handful of guys. Well, there's more than that. There's more than a handful. But there's some really good coaches in the NFL that are head coaches that I think, you know, are kind of those guys that are like, you know, it's not them. If you're having a problem with your team, it ain't that guy, right? Vrabel would seem to be one of those examples. right. Vrabel would be one of those guys. And I don't know what he's, I don't know what the guy's like off the field and with his staff and all that. Maybe he's impossible to work with and they just need a break. I don't know. But, that team it always seems extremely prepared on the field, and that's that's the coach, that's the head coach. Now you can say what you want. I mean, you don't trade AJ Brown and think it's not gonna, you're not gonna take a dip
0: in production. Yeah, that that was a rough one. Goodness <clears> gracious, they didn't want to pay him. I get that's it. why I get it. I get it, but they're they're. Their offense plummeted precipitously after that trade because the guy they tried it to tra- tried it to draft to replace him, Traylon Burks, just was not up to snuff. Um, and to a certain degree, how fair is that? You know, you're drafting a guy in the first round to be the next A.J. Brown. Okay, he's not that in his rookie season, but holy cow. I mean, he got a little better in year or two, but... And not a got, number one receiver. Well, now he's got Will <clears throat> to Levis. to the point where they had to add DeAndre Hopkins. Right. He's got
1: Will Levis in there now too, so it's not like you got, you know, Mahomes or Josh Allen in there. But so yeah, and I like my Levis point. My too. point is this: yeah, Tennessee's got some problems. I think zero of them of those problems have to do with the head coach. Now there was widely reported tension between the GM and Mike Vrabel. And if
0: you're going to, well, make yeah, it, because it was a new GM coming in this year, and Rand Carthon, he and Rand Carthon did
1: not have the same <laughs> philosophy about personnel or the way things should have been run or should have been done or whatever, whatever. And there was some real tension. And obviously, it looks to, from the outside looking in, it the story seems to be that it was one or the other. Somebody
0: was leaving, and Carthon just got there. So, All
1: right.
0: who's got less years on their contract that we have to pay? To not work for us, <laughs> yeah. Let's forget about who's better, who's cheapest. I don't know. That's how I don't know. That's how some ownership groups work. Uh, as crazy as that might seem, uh, wanted to bring you up to speed on our lineup today. Got a jam-packed show full of quarterbacks or former ones, anyway. We uh, begin in about fifteen minutes with a former league MVP. May have heard of him. His name's Kurt Warner. Did a nice breakdown. On Buffalo's offense against the Dolphins, I think even the Bills would admit they left points on the board, had some red zone possessions that they came up empty on. They were two for five in the red zone on Sunday. I think they know they have to be better than that if they're going to keep advancing in the playoffs. So we'll chop it up with Kurt Warner on that and what not only the coaching staff, but Josh and his receivers can do better to improve the consistency of the execution, particularly when Josh is facing a blitz. So we'll have that conversation with Kurt Warner in about 15 minutes time. And then hour number two, as we do every Tuesday, we will catch up with quarterback. Number two, Dan Orlovsky from ESPN, um, who had some thoughts about the variable firing on Twitter and also has some commentary on Buffalo's quarterback. He told everybody what his vote would be for league MVP. So we'll talk to Dan about that, along with this upcoming matchup with the Steelers. So that's coming up in hour number two of the show, about 45 to 50 minutes from now. Uh, So that's that, and we press forward with our topic of discussion for you today. As you know, five players injured in the game against the Dolphins, none of whom returned to the game. And uh, probably the biggest headline name on the offensive side of the ball is Gabe Davis. And there are reports out there from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport that it is a PCL injury. Team has not confirmed anything. We'll probably get more information on Wednesday. But the question is this. If Gabe Davis is unable to play in the Steelers game, what in your mind is the offensive adjustment for the bills you let us know could be schematic could be personnel related whatever you think that adjustment should be you let us know 803-0550-1888-550-2550 the number to get on board and we are taking your phone calls here so hop on got open lines for you uh but let's go to the phones and leading us off today is dj in connecticut what do you got for us dj
4: hi guys uh, great stuff as always. Uh, I think that um, they'll just go with, um, uh, I would assume, based on that great toe tap, that they would just go with Sherfield and kind of keep doing what they're doing with regards to your question of the day.
5: Yeah.
4: Um, I got a question on these third and ones, fourth and ones. And I know, Josh, that was, that was the first time all season that they were stopped. So he was, what, out uh, last 14 times, um, they were 13 and one in success rate. But two questions. Number one is the one that he got stopped on. It seemed like it was the the first time ever that he tried to go over the pile. And actually the pile was kind of stacked up vertically. So that seemed kind of like a, not a very wise thing, but, but question for you guys is um, why don't they, so on 13 straight times, they went right into the pile and he finds a hole and great and whether he gets pushed or is strong body and all that sort of stuff. But, Why don't they ever kind of um, have the guy behind him kind of jump over the pile as a fake and he runs around the edge and have either the tight end or whatever's on the end seal it off, or B, I'm even more interested, in, and maybe they're saving this for later, but uh, on a couple of those, they have digs one-on-one on the the way outside. He can beat anybody, and the the definition of these short yardage ones is they don't rush. Each team is trying to find the lowest, you know, get low as possible, right? Right? And then, so they're not rushing. So he can just basically fake it, pull back, and then he's got digs one on one. Why don't they ever try that?
0: Yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned that, DJ, because that's the exact conversation we had with Eric Wood yesterday when we had him on the show. I said, now that they've done this as many times as they have, they have the opportunity now. To play off of that, one hundred percent tendency, and they can do some of the things that you mentioned, DJ, very easily. Um, you know, you instead of Josh sneaking it, he turns around, hand pretends to hand it to the back, run naked bootleg to the sideline. I like my chances there with Josh's legs. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a whole host of things you can run off of that now that you have a hundred percent tendency at your disposal. So
1: Yeah, you remember, too, the one he missed, uh, the one he got just before that, he did go up over the top, yeah. and he made
0: it easily. I'm with DJ, though. I only like leaving your feet if you're going into the end zone. Because when you leave your feet, now you've left yourself vulnerable. And that's why I always think it's foolish for defensive players to leave their feet to try to jump into the pile. Because the surge is going to carry you backwards, because now you are no longer grounded.
1: Right, well, the, yeah, the, yeah, it... <sighs> It's point of least resistance in there. You're you're jumping into a body of humanity, and there's no way of knowing what the other team's going to do. And here's the thing, you know, to stop that play, like the Dolphins in this case, or any team that does the tush push against Philly, you got to sell out. I mean, they all got to sell out to stop it. So when they do that, if you're not going to run that, you know, the snow plow, and you back out, or you have Josh bootleg out of there and throw it you should be able to catch somebody off guard. The problem is this. When you get into those tush-push and snowplow formations, the edges are unguarded because nobody's going to come off the edge and stop you on a quarterback sneak. They could stop a dive play because they can get there then because as fast as it takes the running back to get there, the corner can get there off the edge. But the problem is if you boot out, you're leaving somebody unblocked out there, and that's a, that's a risk. Um. yeah. Yes, there's all kinds of ways to take advantage of the defense's commitment to stopping that play. All kinds of ways. But, you know, are they going to do it exactly the same way every time? You never know.
0: Yeah, you never know. And that's why I think it is set up now to play off of that if you need to do something different because... You know, this might be this failed fourth down conversion may serve as indication to the Bills. Hey, you know, maybe now is the time to play off of that since we were unsuccessful in that instance. Like, don't break it if it's I mean, don't fix it if it's not broken. But maybe that convinces them to use and call something off of that, which could wind up being wildly successful. Be interesting to see going forward here. Let's go to Aaron in Oregon next. What do you got for us, Aaron? Hey guys. Hey, uh, I am a huge, huge, uh, Bill's Kool-Aid drinker
6: and I always have been, I'm always okay. Next year's our year. Um, but after the Philadelphia game, I was kind of feeling like, um, but I, I still wrote this, uh, fan post on one of the fan sites and I was putting out my plan for us to get to the Super Bowl, and everybody was calling me crazy and like, what are you smoking and all that? (laughs) And, uh, and it, it, now it seems very, very possible. Um, and people were, you know, at that time, thinking that was nuts. Um, but but my thing is, I, I feel like I've been hearing more like, you know, Josh is getting that look in his eye. Josh is like, I'm not satisfied with the AFC East Championship. I feel like he's got that look in his eye and that will to win. And then McDermott, I feel like everybody's behind McDermott and like, okay, let's do this for, you know, for Sean. So I, I'm just pretty excited. And I think the the Steelers game, I hope we don't take it too lightly. And I hope we don't think, oh, we got this. I hope we still have that same drive we had last uh, Sunday.
0: Yeah, I feel you. I feel you on that, Aaron. Thanks yeah, for the
6: call.
1: Um, I, it's hard to think about a playoff game as a trap game, but it's kind of that point, you know, that kind of thought process where you think, well, they're just, you know, you think you're going to just roll these guys over and they're a playoff team and it's not going to happen. Uh, I would kind of fall into the the mindset of, projecting myself back in the day and how we, you know, there's none of that in the playoffs. You're, you get after it in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, you realize the finality of it.
0: I'm not going to speak to Steve's perspective because I don't share it. I don't have it. Um, I've never been in the NFL on a field when it counts. Um, but I will say this. With all that this team has been through, <laughs> the better part of the last two calendar years, I don't think there's any way in hell this is a trap game. No way, Jose. There's just – there's too much at stake for them to dismiss a playoff opponent, whether it's the Pittsburgh Steelers or the 14 Holy Helpers. I mean, they're not looking (laughs) past anybody. Right. You know what I mean? Like, no way. I I would – you could knock me over with a feather – if that happens with this football team, yeah. Now that doesn't mean they're going to come
1: out and go like gangbusters. I mean, this team is still this team. I mean, sometimes they struggle to get out of the box, and sometimes you get a bad call or a drop pass right. or whatever. You know, they come out and they drop three straight third down passes on the first three possessions. We've seen that. Um, I saw it two so, weeks ago. Sometimes that happens, but it does mean what it does mean, in my opinion, is that they're going to they're going to buckle up and prepare like like it's a game that they you know they need to play well in. Uh, I don't think there's going to, they're not going to think the Steelers are patsies. And I know Sean McDermott's probably over there going, you know what? These guys came in here in the preseason and lumped us up. Uh, I know it's the preseason, but he'll use it. I mean, every little bit helps.
0: Well, and not only that, I think it's pretty well documented that Tomlin's teams rarely, rarely lay an egg. And even if they don't measure up man to man, Matchup-wise, they're going to fight and strain and make you earn it. You have to grind out a victory more often than not against the Steelers. Even though this is a team through most of their season in 2023 has had a monumental problem scoring points, Mason Rudolph has been a nice spark for them. They have scored more points the last few weeks, and even if they don't, that defense is going to make you grind out yards, strain for points, and I think the game's probably going to be closer than most people believe. Maybe the Bills turn back into the juggernaut, but show me evidence of that outside of the Dallas game the last five weeks. Show me evidence of that because it's been the defense that has been closing out games for the Bills. I mean, there's no debate about that, right? I mean, think about how much they've had to close this – They had to close out week six against the Giants, week eight against Tampa, week 14 at Kansas City, week 16 at L.A., and week 18 against Miami. The defense had to close it out. Look, I I love Josh Allen, this offense, as much as anybody else. But the facts are the facts. The defense has been closing out games. So you've got a team that strains and claws and has a lot of grit, like Tomlin's team, they're not going to make it easy. And
1: And actually that's something that the Bills' defense struggled with early in the season. You know, they let um, they let a couple of teams off the hook early in the season, you know, when they couldn't close out games. And, you know, that was kind of what was going on. The the jet they couldn't get, we couldn't get ahead of the Jets, but the Jacksonville game, uh, worse. That was, was a struggle. Co- there was a couple of other games, uh, the Patriots loss. They couldn't, you know, Mac Jones goes the distance in the last two minutes to take the lead and win that game. Uh, 18, the Bills, the Bengals game, the Broncos game, obviously, I mean, they couldn't stop. The Broncos from getting down into field goal range uh, with the last play. It's it's something they struggled with earlier, and now not so much. They're kind of getting a handle on it. On On closing closing out games defensively. Um,
0: And it it couldn't come at a better time. Break time for us because when we come back, we're going to break down that last game against the Dolphins and what the offense might be looking to clean up heading into the playoffs. We'll do that with NFL Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner, who joins us next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Tuesday, and pleased to be joined now by Hall of Fame quarterback and NFL Network analyst, Kurt Warner. Uh, Kurt, thanks for joining us. Appreciate the time here. Uh, you probably know why we've got you on. We were we enjoyed your <laughs> breakdown of uh, the Bills' offense here in the wake of their performance against the Dolphins. It was good enough to get the victory, but like it is almost any week, they're probably looking to clean some, clean some things up on that side of the ball going into this playoff matchup with the Steelers. Um, Why don't you just kind of lay out for us some of what you put out there as you were dissecting (laughs) Buffalo's offense here and and where they might be a little bit better this week or want to be?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing for me is we all know how good Josh Allen is and all the things that he's capable of doing. Uh, I continue to make the contention that he's best when he plays on schedule and in the pocket. Uh, I've seen it all year long is that when he's comfortable inside the pocket and he's confident in what he's seeing, he's as good as anybody in the National Football League and it shows up over and over and over again. you know, I went back before the game this past weekend against Miami and watched his first game against Miami and I think there was only like five plays in which he moved out of the pocket in that game and a couple of them were just completely by necessity. He looked down the field and he was trying to make that play and then, Then he went and created. And that to me, I think is where uh, this team really needs to continue to to focus is, you know, when Josh does that, he is, he is so good and he's done it really, really well this year. Um, But then there's times when I feel like he plays too fast. There's certain situational, uh, you know, football moments in a game where it's almost as if I'm going to give a cursory glance to the play and then I'm going to go be Josh Allen. And We all know that that can uh, that can be special and and it can be a a huge positive for the team. But it can also lead to some negative plays or it can lead to some missed opportunities that are easier and right in front of them. Um, And I think that's why you see at times, you know, even though they've they've gone on a run and won a lot of games, they're not always clean and they're not always putting up, you know, the big points that we saw maybe early in the year and we've seen in the past because it's just, It's kind of choppy all over the place. And so I think it starts with Josh just settling in and being confident and knowing that he can be great without having to run around and and run through people and over people and make the crazy pros. He can be great just playing inside the pocket because he has that ability and has shown that ability. And, And so I think that's where it starts. And then, you know, the other issue that I was pointing out was just, you know, being able to, you know, to handle pressure better than you know they did the other day and I think better than they've done at times this year. And and that, you know, it, it's both sometimes with Josh, you know, understanding, okay, they bring pressure. I don't have to beat it by making a play. I can beat it by getting the ball out of my hands. And also with Joe Brady giving Josh some quick answers on every single play or some adjustments on every play. So when somebody brings that pressure, it's not run around and have to throw the ball up with guys hanging all over me. It's Hey, get it out to one of my playmakers because we've got really good playmakers out there. Get into their hands and let them do something for you know for the quarterback.
1: So give us an idea too, because as you as you know, this the league revolves around and the offense revolves around the quarterback. Give us an idea of how the when a quarterback like Josh does leaves a pocket too early or makes uh doesn't want to take the easy throw right now, he wants to try and hold it and make a you know, bigger play down the field. Give us an idea of the best way for a coaching staff to handle the criticism of that for the quarterback. You know, you got to have a conversation about it, right? You're watching the film. It happens. You say, hey, yeah. why didn't you take, you know, why this, why that? Give us an insight. I mean, you were, you were in those rooms, and I'm sure you, right. you took your share of, you know, talking to's about why you're not doing the right thing or what, you know. Give us some insight as to how those conversations go.
7: Well, I mean, I think the first part of the conversation and what you always want from your quarterback uh, when you're a coach is is answer the why for me, okay? So tell me why you took off so quickly. Tell me why, you know, you didn't give this a chance because it was the primary part of the play. Um, and, and I think that's where it starts is understanding the why, you know, because you always want your quarterback to be able to, have a reason, a method to the madness on why they're doing stuff. And, you know, and I completely understand in critical situations, a Josh has been really good. And then when you get down into the red zone, you know, we often say that, you know, a lot of times it's, it's players over plays that it's hard to always design the perfect play down in the red zone when windows get tighter and, and teams do some different things, but you still have to trust what's in front of you because, I will always make the argument, you know, and again, Josh, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, those special players can maybe live in that, you know, ad lib um, off schedule world more than other guys can. But I also believe that what you have to do to, to win against the best teams in the league is you have to make the layups. You have to make the plays that are in front of you. And so when I, you know, did the breakdown the other day, you know, what happened was there was, uh, a quick play to the flat you know from the five yard line on their first drive that is a walk-in touchdown now he doesn't take it and, and he gets through things a little bit faster and, and misses but then ultimately what happens on that drive is that leads to a play where miami brings pressure they don't have a quick answer and it becomes one of the one of the interceptions in the end zone and so that's kind of how i look at it is that you know it's not always sexy to take the quick flat but that's working for you take the layup and then make the special plays when you have to. The other interception was on a fourth down, and they had a a little rub play designed, and they had their initial guy open. Josh just got off of it a little bit quick, getting impatient, going, oh, I don't know if it's going to be open. Let me go create and and, and do what I do. And it led to the other interception, you know, that long interception, where it would have been an easy first down within the structure of the play. And so that becomes the conversation and the balance is – I need you to allow the play to work for you. Uh, I need you to, you know, to get back and make these layups, these easy throws that are in front of you. You make those, and then you give us three or four of those special plays a game, and we're gonna win most of our games. If we have to live with any quarterback having to make 10, 12, 13 of those special plays, it's a hard place to live in when there's easy opportunities out in front of you. And so that really is where the conversation starts is, Josh, tell me why. Tell me why, you know, this initial read, what, what did you miss here? Or why are you playing so fast here? Um, you know, was there a look that you got from the defense? Was there an adjustment that you saw that maybe I'm not seeing that made you go there um, as opposed to just, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just, you know, I just wanted to make a play and, and I got going too fast. And it's trying to find that balance because again, I could take a, I, I, if I was the coach, I would go back and find a video of Josh all year long playing on schedule, seeing it and getting the ball out of his hands. And, and, you know, like I said, go back to the first Miami game. I thought he was tremendous in that game and it was all about ball out of his hands over and over and over again. And that to me is when the bills, and and I think most quarterbacks are at their best because there's going to be easy things in front of you in most games. Um, And when you play that way, uh, it just it just makes life so much easier for you guys as an offense.
0: And, and the irony of that for me, Kurt, is <clears throat> two of the plays you referenced in your breakdown, when he doesn't go to Gilliam on the quick out at the five-yard line to go to the touchdown, and he doesn't use the easy answer on the rub play, they must have had those conversations in-game because they went right back to those same play calls, and he does hit Dawson Knox at the goal line on the short out play for a touchdown late in the game, and he hit Shakir up the sidelines on a rub play that looked exactly like the one that you broke down that he didn't hit earlier in the game. So at least that shows a willingness on Josh's part to listen to the coaching, and then he says, look, I'm going to come back to this later in the game. Make sure you hit it this next time, Mm. and he did on both accounts. So how encouraging is that going forward if you're Joe Brady? Mm.
7: Well, I mean, I think the bottom line is, is as I was saying, I know he can do it. I know he can see it. I know he can play from inside the pocket and be as good as anybody. And, and that really just becomes the balance. And, and, you know, Steve, you were talking earlier. I never had that special. And, you know, I was always the guy that, that had to play in the pocket. It had to play on schedule. So I don't really know how tough that is to figure out that balance. How long do I stay in the pocket on fourth and one um, and stay on schedule on fourth and one when I know I could go make a play that's going to get us the first down? Um, But again, you know, if you go back and look at, you know, if you broke down all the plays of, you know, these really good quarterbacks, you know, going off schedule and trying to make plays, there's no doubt that that the percentage is way lower than when they play on schedule. Now we see the really special ones and it's awesome and it's things nobody else could do, but when you break it down in terms of numbers, the percentage of success goes way, way down. You know, I I did a breakdown on Lamar Jackson a couple weeks ago against San Francisco and they won that game big against San Francisco, but most of those plays were off schedule. A lot of the plays in that game were off schedule and they weren't really successful off schedule other than a few times. They came back uh, and played Miami the next week and put up 56 points and almost every play was on schedule and how much easier that game was and what it looked like when you played read things out and got the ball out of your hand in a timely fashion. And so I still think that wins uh, more than expecting your quarterback to, to be special, you know, numerous times throughout a game. I still think playing on schedule, seeing what's in front of you, getting the ball out of your hands is always going to be a bigger benefit. And as I said, it's to me, if, if if I watch a quarterback and I go, oh, he, he can't do that, you know, he's going to have to live in the special and we're going to have to hope that that's good enough for us to win. That's not the case with the guys I'm talking about, you know, Josh and Patrick and, and Lamar. Those guys can do it. And so I want to see them get comfortable doing that and living in that world and then creating uh, you know only when and again only when they when they have to which is a relative term because again i i don't play in that world when is that and and what does that look like but i like to at least see them kind of look at one and two and you know look at their initial read based on the coverage and then create as opposed to missing that first or second read that's right out there in front of them
1: kurt last one for me we've got this first weekend of the playoffs coming up and there's a lot of Like homecomings, I guess. If you finger quotes homecoming, you got Deshaun Watson going back to Houston. You've got Tyreek Hill and the Dolphins going back to Kansas City. Mike McCarthy, the head coach of the Cowboys, welcoming in the Green Bay Packers, a team he won this world world championship with. Matt Stafford going to Detroit with the L.A. Rams. Um, Some pretty cool stuff. Storylines like that. What what grabs you about these games? Anything you know? What's the overriding theme for you? What are you looking forward to?
7: Um, you know, I mean, I think for me, you know, I'm always looking at the quarterback play and, and the quarterback matchups. And, and I think we've got some really good ones this weekend that that are going to be fun. You know, you mentioned, you know, Stafford going back to Detroit, you know, and Jared Goff on the other side. Uh, you know, how interesting that is, you know, coming off of the trade, first and foremost, where the Rams, you know, kind of got what they were looking for, winning a, a world championship. The Lions have gotten what they're looking for, you know, winning their division for the first time in 30 years. But um, but I think it also comes down to these moments, right? Show us that you can be that guy in the moment against that other really special player that, that we got rid of. Uh, and so I think this is a huge moment for the Lions and Jared and Goff, um, you know, and obviously it would be a great statement for Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, because I know he still has love for Detroit to go back there and and get a win and and, and kind of you know show them, you know I guess what they're missing to, to some degree. Uh, that's going to be great. You know I, I love the Houston uh, matchup uh, against Cleveland. You know the last time Joe Flacco was unbelievable against Houston, but C.J. Stroud didn't play. He's been one of those special players this year as a rookie that has been so much fun to watch. Uh, so I'm I'm excited about that. Um, you know, too, and and Patrick Mahomes, even though you know there's some issues on both sides, but. I mean, you know that to me is is what i'm always looking at when you get to this point you know so many of these games are dependent on the quarterback position and it's about those quarterbacks that have been really good during the regular season can you up your game in the playoffs right we've had a lot of really good quarterbacks play great regular seasons but never quite elevate themselves at playoff time and now we get a chance to see that cj stroud can he do it jordan love can he do it? Jared Goff, can he do it in this kind of moment and in the playoffs uh, You know where he hasn't been with Detroit? So those are the, the cool storylines to me that we're going to watch because we know that it's going to come down to you know these quarterbacks making plays to advance their teams.
0: Kurt, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the playoffs. We'll catch up with you down the line. Thanks, Kurt. You got it. You guys too. All right, that's Kurt Warner, Pro Football Hall of Famer and NFL analyst for the NFL Network. We take a break here, but we're back to your phone calls when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All blood donors with Connect Life in January will receive an exclusive Buffalo Bills winter hat. Connect Life has blood drives located across western New York to make donating easy for everyone. Be part of our life-saving team and donate blood with Connect Life. Visit connectlifegiveblood.org to make your appointment today. Going to get back to the phones at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. The numbers to get on board. Got a couple open lines for you there. If Gabe Davis, with his knee injury, is out for the Steelers game this weekend, what is the offensive adjustment? You let us know. Whether it's schematic, personnel-related, you let us know. We go back to the phones, and we go to Brandon in Ellicottville next. What do you got for us, Brandon?
4: Hi, Chris. Hi, Steve. Uh, Good to talk with you again. You bet. Um, I do have uh, uh, some thoughts if we have to roll without Gabe Davis. Hopefully we don't. Um, but some things I'd like to see is running more 12 personnel with Kincaid and Knox. Both have been playing really well. I'd like to see playoff Lenny active and involve him more uh, both running and catching with cook as a good one, two punch. I'd like to see a little bit more of Shakir and uh, give Trent Sheffield uh, some more snaps at wide receiver. Certainly a big touchdown in that game. Like to see more physical play by the offensive line. And for once, I would love to see Edwards get a reception since he always reports as eligible.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I think he ran down the whole roster there. Um, the two tight end part is intriguing, Steve, because if we remember the beginning of the season, this team was among the league leaders in usage right. of 12 personnel. Then Dawson Knox had an injured wrist that required surgery, and that went by the wayside. And now he's back and fully healthy, a couple games under his belt. Yep.
1: Yeah, and Leonard Fournette is obviously a, a spot where you can get some fresh legs in there as well. Big, yep. strong
0: running back. And Ty Johnson is, you know, he left last week's game with a concussion. We'll see if he is officially in concussion protocol come Wednesday. And if he is, you may need Fournette just from a numbers standpoint. Forget about scheme and game plan. You just right. need him for from a numbers perspective.
1: Right, Um
0: yeah, that's interesting, too.
1: But, but there has to be something done. They're going to have to make some adjustment. Uh, somebody's going to have to play for Gabe Davis, and he's out there as much yeah. m-
0: more than any other receiver or running back in the in the game. Sherfield would seem to fit that bill from a body type and skill set perspective.
1: Right. And I don't know that it will be as easy as just plugging one in and unplugging the True. other.
0: Which is why maybe, maybe 12 personnel comes to mind as an option. Right. Um,
1: and some of it, may, if not all of this, has to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the matchups, so we'll wait and see. Minka Fitzpatrick, Marcus Peters, what they're going to do at or corner Patrick and safety, Peterson. Patrick Peterson, what they're going to do at, at corner and safety. The absence of TJ Watt, maybe it turns into a, a Leonard Fournette game, James Cook game.
0: Could and who do you choose uh, to bring up on the roster if Davis is down? Are you elevating Andy Isabella from the practice squad? Right. Is that an option? So there are a lot of things to consider here based on the status of Gabe Davis going forward, which is why we're asking the question. Let's go to Mark in New Jersey here next and check in with him. What do you got for us Mark here on one Bills live?
3: Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Um I felt uh, maybe it's a hot take, I don't know. I felt he was, I felt Josh was better once Gabe left the game cuz I I mean, I I'm going to sound maybe I'm gonna sound cold, but I feel like Gabe is the fire drill wide receiver. It's like Josh scrambles, he starts freaking out. Gabe that's where he, that's where he eats. That's where he lives. He, he gets those or he runs that little comeback route to Josh when he's scrambling. Those are his two. That's why what he did in the Tampa Bay game was like, wow, he was running a quick slant or getting quick hitters or hitches because he doesn't do that. And I just felt like he was going to Shakir. I was just going to Kincaid. Those guys are more crisp, more timing based guys, better route runners, better after the, you know, the catch with the ball in their hand I felt like he was better. And if you do bring up Isabella, that's fine. Um, I feel like Ty Johnson would be a bigger miss. I think he brings them more juice than, than Fournette does. He's just as good in the receiving game. I feel like Ty Johnson would be a bigger miss in the game. And just quick on the defensive side, um, I felt like Spectre was better against the run. Mm-hmm. Getting, he was reading it. He was downhill. Like he was, he was all over the place. And in this game, I think that's important. And I also, if, if they do... Do something on defense at defensive tackle because I know he's been down this last couple of weeks. You think Joseph has a chance to be up because they're going to you know try to pounce you know in some bad weather with Harris and in, with Ty Warren as opposed to um, I don't know Puna Ford or maybe one of the defensive ends. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Yeah, it, right.
0: it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was talking about that very thing to Steve in the office before we came into the studio and on the air. You know, Linval Joseph has been inactive each of the last two weeks, in favor of Puna Ford. I wonder if Linval Joseph and Puna Ford are active against a team that leads the league in run-on-first-down percentage. It's 59% run-on-first-down for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and with their third-string quarterback in there, even though their point production has gone up and they've been more functional with him at quarterback from a passing perspective, I still think they're a run-first team. Najee Harris is
1: big. He's a like a Derrick Henry type back. He's that's how big he is.
0: And Jalen Warren is explosive and so and has a big body as they're, well.
1: They're leaning on their best offensive players. It's not their quarterback, and that means they run sixty percent, fifty nine percent of the time on first down. You got to have. You got to stop that. You, right. That's that's job one. You don't want to stop it at the expense of all else because Mason Rudolph isn't a stiff. But that's what you got to do, and that might mean Linval-Joseph does get active, activated this week.
0: And it might mean Balin Spector is back in at linebacker mm-hmm. if Tyrell Dodson can't go. That's right. And maybe it also means uh,
1: – it, it might also mean, you know, that they make some different rotational moves up front as well. Um, yeah, I, I think this is an interesting spot for both these clubs about the roster. Certainly the Steelers cannot change their stripes – I mean they're gonna they're gonna come in and try and play the way they've they've had to play. Now it's an, it's a one and done, so they may try a couple of things. Oh yeah. But they're not they're gonna have to win this game by playing the offense that we've seen them play. They may pull and, out a trick play here and there, but you know, that menu goes away pretty quickly.
0: And let's not forget that's another team that changed their offensive coordinator in the middle of the season, something they really haven't ever done in Steelers' country. They don't make changes like that. That's right. Normally. Uh and And to Mark's point, quickly, there is something to be said about the rhythm of the passing game after Gabe Davis left the game. And I think to Mark's point, yes, Shakir and Kincaid are both more precise route runners. They're in their landmarks on time when they're supposed to be. So there is something to be said about the rhythm of the passing game that ensued after Gabe Davis left the football game. And what do you have at the end? Kincaid with some nice production, Shakir with some nice production going over 100 yards, six catches on six targets, and I think Kincaid was five on six targets. So there was some interesting rhythm to the passing game in Davis' absence. You wonder if the coaching staff looks at that on film and says, well, maybe we should shift some personnel usage and time on the field there as well. Things to consider, and and something I think we got to talk to Dan Orlovsky about in hour number two here. We'll take a break and be back with ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio.
7: live presented by Kaleida
0: Health. All right, welcome to hour number two on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you and pleased to welcome in the analyst, former NFL quarterback Dan Orlovsky, as we do every Tuesday And Dan's segment brought to you by Ellicott Hotels. Fans, round up your family, friends, or co-workers for a fantastic game day experience at 500 Pearl. Reserve your pack and book your group event today at 500pearlbuffalo.com. I want to do that for wild card weekend, Bills versus Steelers. Dan, hope you're doing well. Let's begin with Week 18 and the win over the Dolphins. Not a pretty first half, um, costing themselves some points in the red zone with some turnovers in the end zone. Um, I don't know where you come down on that, but Josh, you know, seemed to be a little flustered by you know some zero blitzes. Um, yeah, maybe some of his receivers didn't break hot quick enough. And recognize themselves yeah. as hot. I mean, there's probably always a, a number of factors in those kinds of situations. But what did you take away from the early red zone struggles for a team that came into the game number one in the red zone?
5: Yeah, I think you you, you hit the head hit the nail on the head. There was um, you you never know when you're on the outside. Is it? like lack of plan or lack of execution. Not, I don't want to say you never know, but you cuz sometimes you could watch a quarterback and see oh, do they realize that you could just watch their body language and the urgency they have when they get the ball. And I do think like on the interception, Josh's first interception, it does look like he's aware, "Oh my gosh, I'm getting all out pressure." And he kind of peeks to his right and you know, I don't know if the the route concept was one that gave him like like the proper or necessary answer for zero and then gabe he snaps back and he makes a panic throw to gabe and it certainly didn't feel like gabe was running his route with the urgency of knowing okay josh has got to get the ball out of his hands like that's what you really want josh should never be holding on to that ball fading away you know two and a half seconds into the play and still throwing a ball to a guy with his back to him There there has to be a little more sudden urgency by everybody. I'm not absolving. This was a panic decision by Josh, but more of a, um, you know, a urgency and awareness uh, specifically in in that case of, you know, kind of what was necessary going down. So, um, you know, that's, that's the big takeaway. And Josh, you know, Chris, Josh was unsettled for the whole first half. You could just see it in his eyes. You could see it on the deep ball to Steph. That should be a 95 plus yard touchdown. He was just so sped up. We all know he gets like that at times. The, the adrenaline for him gets flowing. Um, but it was good to see him settle down in the second half physically. What else
1: kind of changed besides Josh's demeanor and the, kind of the, the you know, as you say, the body language calmness that you saw a little bit more of in the second half? What else changed for that? I know, you know, Gabe Davis went out um, and he started to spread the football around. I mean, there were eight guys who caught a pass in that game. Nobody had more than one incompletion thrown to them. Um, What about that? Other than Josh and his demeanor, perhaps you know what else changed?
5: Yeah, Steve. Candidly, they Miami had no choice really but to start playing more man coverage than they wanted to. You know that's not necessarily who they are. And I thought that Joe Brady and Josh and the offense did a good job of adjusting to that. You know when they get on that drive that eventually becomes the Dawson Knox touchdown there's three or four consecutive plays where it's man coverage and and they dial up the right kind of rub route or pick route. You know, it's the ball down the sideline to Kincaid when he's getting covered by Ingram That, that that's advantage Buffalo. And then it's the, rail shot off the bubble screen pump that they connect on. And then obviously the Dawson touchdown is the motion and they switch release it and that safety hangs inside. So I think, you know, again, Josh settling down and being a little bit completion driven was big. And then when Miami declared like, Hey, we got to play some man coverage. They stopped playing zero, which, which was good because right. Once Josh in the second half hit Dawson, uh, excuse me, Dalton on a quick little crosser versus zero, for a first down, automatically Miami won away from it. And so I think that's another declaration of you have a plan for the pressure. Quarterback settles down a little bit and delivers the football. And then when they got manned, they they had the right concepts for it.
0: Spinning it forward to the Steelers, Dan, obviously the Pittsburgh offense has gone through even more dramatic change than the Bills. Both teams changed coordinators, but Pittsburgh is yep. now on their third quarterback in Mason Rudolph. Veteran player, has been there. What would you say are some of the changes for the better to the yeah. functionality of Pittsburgh's offense with those respective changes?
5: Yeah, so I just called their Week 18 game at at Baltimore when it was a must-win. Uh, very simply, the number one thing they've done is they've stopped going side to side as an offense, and they decided to simplify and just go, we're going to go right at you. They're not going to try to confuse you. They're not going to try to trick you. They're going to put three tight ends on the field so often, or more often they're not going to have two tight ends on the field, and they're going to run basically two to three run plays. You know, One of the run plays is going to be duo, where they'll get three tight ends on the field. They're going to get multiple double teams. And Chris, I tell you this, like the, if you were going to ask me what is going to be one of the, if not the most important things for this Buffalo defense versus Pittsburgh's offense, all 11 have got to be ready to tackle. Because Pittsburgh's number one goal right now in their run game is to get the ball to the secondary. They they don't care if it's one-on-one at the line of scrimmage with a safety or a corner. They, that's all they want to do in their run game warren is and i know you guys are popping clips right now of their past game i want to get to that but warren has become like their dynamic guy you're yeah. gonna have to tackle naji harris really well so it, you're not going to get confused a little bit more motion a little bit more play action they've tied that stuff together um mason rudolph hasn't given the ball away um they have one goal keep the game close and then if the game's close They want to get a big play. They want to get Deontay Johnson or Pickens or Ferrymuth. Go make a big play. And they do a very good job of that recently.
1: How close to the vest do they play it? Offensively, I mean, you know, I mean, I, you would think in an all-or-nothing game, well, they were in one list last week against the Baltimore Ravens backups. But in a game like this in Buffalo, I mean, this is when you see, you know, the the reverse pass or the backward pass, double pass, that kind of stuff. Once in a while, that menu – and I said this earlier – that menu gets short really quick. You may see one or two of those plays. But ultimately, you know, if they get into a game where it's a two-possession game where they've got to score twice – that's when they it's they can't real yeah it's tough for them.
5: Yeah, you, I don't and I don't know I, I don't I don't believe so, but I don't know if it'll change without T.J. Watt. You know, obviously T.J. is the most important person on the field for them, and right. and he he's won two games for them this year. I don't know how many people in football can say that. Maybe Deron Bland and and, and Miles. So I don't know if it changes because you know they they have such great faith and and defensively, you know, when it, in Buffalo's offense in comparison to. You know Pittsburgh's defense; they don't care about yards. Josh is not going to get confused by coverage much. They'll give you a little bit of late rotation. Steve, you know they want to play cover three. And how many different ways can they play cover three? This is one of those games. Josh, get the ball out. Don't try and hold it because Highsmith can still rush. Herbig can still rush. uh, Keanu Benton can still rush. Get the ball out. Get completions. Um, See the overlap corner. Here's what here's where they're great. Red zone defense takeaways. I think they're second in the NFL getting turnovers in the red zone, let alone forcing field goals. Um, You know, I think the middle of the field can be a big pass game opportunity for them, Buffalo. And so, yeah, if you jump on them, Steve, they're just not they, they don't. That's not who they want to be. They don't want to be schematically cre- overly creative. They don't want to be sch- schematically overly chasing big plays. They want to um, go after you. They want to force you to play sound, technically uh, fundamental football and tackle well on the perimeter.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about working in that middle of the field offensively for Buffalo because – I think Kincaid and Shakir have emerged in an encouraging way here down the stretch, particularly on this five-game win streak. Um, Shakir, in particular, in the last four games in which he has been targeted, he has a 100% catch rate. Now, I realize there are more high-percentage throws with Shakir than, say, somebody like a Gabe Davis, um, but still in all, how— how much of positive reinforcement is that for someone like Josh to stay within the structure of the offense and take what the defense gives him with two weapons like that over the middle of the field to utilize in the intermediate area?
5: Chris, it's massive and it's, it's really two things that stand out with Shakir. If you've watched kind of even last year and then his growth and development this year, and you're seeing some shots of the middle field, two things that he's doing really well. Number one, when he gets to the top of his routes, whether it's man or zone, like if it's man, he's doing a great job of separating at the top of his route. He's not winning outrageously at the line of scrimmage, but he's doing a really nice job of separating just enough at at the top. The second thing, and I think this is probably the most important thing, is he is very loud with his body language. Steve, you know this. Like he's very loud with his body language. Am I running full speed away from somebody? How sharp I'm coming downhill versus on a route? Am I gonna sit or throttle or be boring in a zone? And and Josh, you know when when you hear that saying in football, like the quarterback has great confidence in him. Well, where does that confidence come? That's where the confidence that Josh has in him right now is. He he's doing those two things really well. Obviously, Dalton mismatches. The length that he can play with over the field. He's got great feel, you know. And so I think those two guys, and this doesn't have to be a game, Chris, where it's like dink and dunk. You know, there are going to be moments where Josh has got to get the ball out and just take a completion. And they're going to, but there are going to be plenty of opportunities in the 14 to 18 to 18 to 22 yard range, you know, in between the top of the numbers and really to the hash. Where they can make some hay with some explosive plays.
1: Give us a quick characterization of this Pittsburgh defense, because you know we know Minka Fitzpatrick; he's been in and out of line. He may be back in, uh, and the defensive backs. And give us a kind of a rundown of what their personality is. Certainly, TJ Watt changes that personality a little. But what have they been?
5: Yeah, they they really wanted to be a four down team with TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. As the guys that had tremendous get off, obviously advantage when you're home, Buffalo and then not doing that. I think Josh's cadence are, has to be huge this week because both TJ and Highsmith are great with their get off. They pay attention. They they listen to the words that you use. They know what live words are and aren't. So like you got to be really good with your cadence this week, if Josh. But that's what they wanted to be. They've been beat up at linebacker health-wise, and so they're rotating a bunch of guys in. They've got guys that they want to put in versus either run personnels or run um, situations, so take advantage of that if you can. Then they have guys that they want to put like a Miles Jack. They want him in on passing formations, personnels, or situations. Take advantage of that. Patrick Peterson, who's going to be a you know potential Hall of Famer, playing free safety a little bit for them now. Obviously, an incredible career. It still looks like looks like he's adjusting to that. How he plays in the middle of the field, tackling in the middle of the field. Um, Joey Porter Jr., I would not be surprised if he you know shadows Steph a lot. He's a very physical player, gonna be very, very, very good. He's already pretty darn good. Um the, I don't want to make this defense sound like world beaters. It's there's they're solid, and that's with TJ. I think that if Buffalo plays the way um, that they did in the second half and settled and don't hurt themselves, they, they, they should have a lot of
0: success. And then last one from me, Dan, since week 10, the Bills are averaging about 35 carries per game. It leads the league. Um, their success in the run game has kind of slid back to the pack the last couple of weeks. This, you know, Pittsburgh, historically, you'd say, well, it's tough to run on Pittsburgh. But you look at the numbers and they say otherwise. I mean, they're 19th against the run. Are they a middle of the pack run defense that the Bills should have some opportunities against? Or yes. are they capable of rising up and and maybe neutralizing that and, and forcing Buffalo to be one dimensional?
5: No, they're middle of the pack. And you're, again, you're doing this. T.J. Watt is not just a sack guy either. He's great against the run. Cam Hayward, a stalwart, he's a little banged up. They, you know, he's been hurt all year. Again, Keanu Benton, who's a rookie out of for them out of Wisconsin's good player. Um, the, the run game will matter. And the the efficiency of their offense is going to matter. This is this is very simple for me. This team in Pittsburgh, you tip your hat to them. Unbelievable that they are in. And the job that Mike Tomlin has done. If you don't hold the ball as a passer, and if you don't be, become reckless with the ball in the red zone, you this defense isn't um, capable of holding this offense down. This is a mature game by everybody on this offense. It's a maturity game. You go out, you do what you have to do, mix your personnels. You could run or pass, Get be, be completion-driven, as long as Josh isn't careless with the football and as long as they're not – because Minka Fitzpatrick, if he plays, or Eric Rowe, these – the, the one thing, Chris, that this defense is really good at, punching the ball out. They right. come in with the peanut Tillman punch. If I was Buffalo's coaches, all week, that's what we're stressing. So, um, again, I don't want to minimize, them. they're an NFL defense, it's in the playoffs, but if you don't give them stuff, they're not good enough to, to stop this, this offense. Is
1: there a percentage you can attach to T.J. Watt? If, if they're 100% with T.J. Watt in there, what are they without him?
5: Uh, Steve, Steve, I would say, especially if Minka doesn't play right 50.
1: Oh, really? Wow. Yeah.
5: He's defensive player of the year. Yeah. If not if he's not he's second, third. <laughs> right. So he's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Uh, they certainly did catch a break there. There's no question about that. Dan, thanks as always for the time. We'll catch up with you next week. Thanks Dan. Thanks guys. Have a great week. All right. That's Dan Orlovsky joining us as he does every week. ESPN NFL analyst, former NFL quarterback and he just did the Steelers game last week. That's why I wanted to hit him with so many Steelers questions. You just saw him. What are they looking like? They were in a do-or-die situation last week. How did they perform? What was the play selection? That kind of stuff, because you know they're going to try to duplicate that again this week. The only difference is they're going against starters here in Buffalo, not some backups in Baltimore, not to take yeah. anything away from the backups in Baltimore, That's but right. they're backups for a reason. But you've got to think about
1: this game, the way it the lines out. Even even the analytics we're looking at, the, the stats and where they're ranked and how they've done all season, You know they're not going to jump out of that a bunch um, they're going to be who they are. And, and Orlovsky's right. The Steelers are going to play you straight up and let you mistake this game into their lap. And that, if you don't mistake it into them, give it to them, they're going to have a hard time taking it away from you. Uh, they are good at getting the ball out. They are good at punching the ball out. They are good at red zone turnovers when, you know, when things are close and they get a lot of guys on the ball. Uh, they are good at that. And with T.J. Watt in there, their pass rush is always excellent especially with Hayward also rushing the passer. So that's who this game is going to be. That's what this game is going to look like. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to play you straight up and beat you with a turnover or two. With your mistakes. And with your mistakes.
0: Yeah. And and proof of that, and this is probably a big reason, because people are like, how the heck did this team get in the postseason? They did it by doing just what Dan said. They play sound fundamental football and hope you mess up. And more often than not, in their 10 victories this season, that has happened. Pittsburgh, 27 takeaways on the season and only 16 giveaways. They've protected the football and tried to take advantage of turnovers by the opposition. They are a plus 11 in the turnover margin this season. That is second best in the league to only Baltimore, who, oh, by the way, finished 13-4, and because they kind of gave the last game of the season to Pittsburgh yeah. there, so that'll yeah. tell you Pittsburgh's
1: third in the league, tied for third with New Orleans for plus eleven net differential. Yeah.
0: I was talking about the AFC; they're second in the AFC um, um, at yeah. plus eleven. Um, but th- yes, third in the league, tied for second most in positive turnover if you margin. Want to know, plus Buffalo's,
1: 11. Buffalo's number twelve at plus two. Correct. Um, yeah. So it's it is a thing. It is where they can beat you. Give, give themselves a couple of extra possessions by with turnovers and not give you anything and that's right it's it's a huge advantage
0: they they have 11 fumble recoveries but there are 26 fumbles by their opponents in 17 games that's more than more than one per game obviously so yeah they they do get it out and it's gonna be something to keep an eye on I know some fans have called in and expressing a little concern about ball security at times um, with the Bills' offense, and I get it. And against a team like this, they're going to have to mind their p's and q's on that front for sure. Uh, let's get back to the phones, though. At 803 eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. Topic of discussion: If Gabe Davis, with his knee injury, is out for the Steelers game on Sunday, what is the offensive adjustment? We go to Stephen in Florida next. What's up, Stephen?
2: Good afternoon. Hey, uh, before I get to what I called about, I want to give a shout-out to Chris and Eric and Sal. Uh, You guys are second to none when it comes to calling these games. I've listened to some of the other games, you know, when we were told who to root for to help Buffalo. These are teams, man. These guys sound like they're either bored or egotistical. You guys do a great job, Chris. I love – the commentary you give, the adverbs and you know description you give, like <laughs> Cook is in the kitchen, you know, ride him cowboy, what a beast, you know, Alan is. You just, you guys do a great job. So I just want to say I really appreciate you because I don't have a TV, I have to depend on the radio at WGR, and it really helps me a lot. So thank you very much for the great job. Thank you. you. Um, now, what I called about specifically, uh, I know you're asking about, uh, you know, Gabe Davis. I think and I had specifically called about um uh Josh, which I'll get to in a minute, but I think Buffalo's got enough depth and they showed this in the game against Miami. Uh Diggs, he did get back into the game. He got even though Josh missed that, you know, bomb which would have been a touchdown to him. But when you look at Dalton Kincaid, uh Knox, uh Shakir was huge. Um, and even Cook, when he's on point coming out of the backfield, uh, Josh has enough in that arsenal to make some big plays. So, yes, Gabe is, you know, if he's not playing, it's a definite loss for the Bills. But the thing is, I think Buffalo's got enough depth there where they can overcome that. Now, here's what I want to say about Josh. I was looking on the Bills' website, and for the key stats and facts, this is one I haven't heard mentioned at all. Now, we've heard about how... Fourth season in a row. Fourth season now. Josh set an NFL record for the history of the NFL—forty or more touchdowns. Right, that's huge. But also with this game, he broke Steve Young's NFL record for over three hundred passing and seventy-five rushing yards. He logged his ninth career game. So what I want to say is, you know, I'm hearing these terms used: Josh is reckless, Oh, he, he gets sloppy. Well, look, it. I knew in this game he was going to be more wide open. I knew he was not going to have this conservative approach in the previous four games and was going to break this wide open with the passing game. And so what I want to say is he's not reckless. I call him dangerously daring because he's so unpredictable. I don't know another quarterback in the entire league that really keeps the defense on their toes. And yeah, it's great if he can stay in the pocket and hit his targets But the thing is, he's so dangerous because of his running ability as well and his ability to look at the defense and never panic and just be able to... How many times have we seen him running toward the sideline and all of a sudden he threads it through two defenders and hits his target in the end zone? So Josh Allen is amazing. And the thing is, I don't see where Pittsburgh can beat this team Sunday, not to take away from them, but the thing is, With, uh, you know, the I think the Pittsburgh Steelers fans are going to need those because they're going to be doing a lot of weeping into those towels at the end of this game.
0: All right, Steven. Thanks for the call. Appreciate that. We're up against the break here, so we got to cut you loose. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I think, Steve, Josh is so damn entertaining that fans are just like, he's amazing. Just let him do that stuff. Yeah. And... I think for coaches, while they appreciate the, the efforts and the lengths that Josh will go to, to make a play, I think sometimes they want to tell him, Hey man, if you just stay in the structure of, of the offense here, I've got an easy answer for you here and an easy answer for you there. If we just read the defense pre-snap, we have answers built into the structure of the offense for you. And sometimes Josh's own competitive nature can be his own worst enemy in going against the structure of the offense.
1: Yeah, and we had, you know, Kurt Warner in the first hour of the show went into all that too. It's just uh, they have answers and sometimes Josh doesn't wait for those answers. Uh he gets a little antsy before it. Uh, he even even when there's no pressure he gets impatient
0: waiting for the for the play to develop. Um uh, and we've had Greg Cosell tell us, too, that in his opinion, sometimes Josh leaves, leaves the pocket, pocket too early. So, yeah,
1: I, I mean, it's all fun and it's all so fun when Josh, you know, goes out and, you know, jumps out of bounds and while he's in the air throws a touchdown pass. I mean, we get all that fun stuff, but uh, for the rest of the guys on the field and for the coaching staff to make it easier on him and, and in some respects even more difficult on the defense, just take what that is there right at the snap, Um the quick flat route or the easy completion. If you can do that, then you know the rest of the game. All those other plays come to you more organically rather than you having to create them, and that's kind of the sweet spot.
0: Yeah, indeed. We have to take a break here, but we're back to your phone calls when we come back. So, George and Colvin. Miles in Rochester, hang tight, we'll get to you and others at 803-0550 when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Alright, welcome back to a Tuesday edition of One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and We're headed right back to the phones where our topic of discussion today, if Gabe Davis misses Sunday's game with his knee injury, what is the offensive adjustment? You let us know at 803-0550. To George and Colvin, what do you got for us, George?
2: Hey, guys. I think you just play Shakir some more if you want to answer that question.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's certainly been performing well the last few weeks. Uh, There's no argument there for me.
1: Yeah, the problem is sometimes
0: Gabe and, and Shakir are on the field at the same time,
2: correct? Well, I happen to find a, a, a magazine here called Shout from '93, mm. and it's Road Warriors, Miami, next stop Miami for the AFC title, after we got done beating the Pittsburgh Steelers the game before. So it's kind of reverse. but basically, you know, we'll continue on after beating the Steelers. But, um,. 24-3, we beat
0: them. <laughs> yeah, the Steelers, that's right. Steve was yep. just looking at some clips from that game uh, before we came on the air today.
1: Yeah, Frank Reich started that game in place of Jim Kelly uh, because Jim Farad, was Mitch injured. Farad caught, Mitch right. Farad caught a touchdown. That's right. James, uh, James Lofton caught a touchdown. Um, a lot of good stuff. That, yeah, the... I gotta tell you, you know, you go back as many years as you want. The team names never change. The players do, but the team names are always there, and you've always <laughs> seen, you know, Bills have played in Pittsburgh in the playoffs, or, um, and now this year they're gonna, the Steelers are going to play in Buffalo in the playoffs. It's what goes around
0: comes around sooner or later. Yeah, let's move along to Miles in Rochester. What do you got, Miles?
8: Hey, hey, Brownie, how are you? First well,
0: off, I think you should
8: be in the uh, Geneseo Sports Hall of Fame. I'm going to give you that. Um, Steve, Tisker, Tasker, I'm rooting for you for the uh, NFL Hall of Fame, but I don't know, man, as a special teamer. You got to change that hat. I need a Zubaz New Era Bills hat on you in these videos, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right, get going on. I'm sorry, guys uh gabe davis i don't know he and josh just haven't seemed to be on the same page all year don't know what it is i love gabe um but i don't know outside of that though i wanted to pivot a little see what you guys thought about the josh allen mvp stuff um you know the guy has 44 total touchdowns he has more total yardage than anyone in the in the league But everyone seems to think that the discussion is totally over and Lamar is the MVP. Um, I know the turnovers, obviously, we all know about the turnovers. But, you know, I think it's the Cy Young effect. In Major League Baseball, most wins of all time, Cy Young. Most losses, Cy Young. Without Josh Allen, this team maybe wins four or five games this year. Without Lamar Jackson, you know, I think the Ravens, You know, are still a playoff team with Trent Dilfer, Joe Flacco. Um, Steve, what do you what do you think's going on as a player? I mean, he doesn't get voted to the Pro Bowl. They're seeming to put him on the back shelf for MVP. Um, I don't know. In my mind, Pro Bowl, All Pro, and MVP. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I don't think anybody any quarterback's playing better than Josh. I mean, certainly you can you can throw you can throw darts at his stats, but. You you can dart, throw darts at one stat, the turnovers, the the, the you know the uh, interceptions, but you know he I, I I highlighted something on social media the other day. He has in in his six year career. If you add up all his turnover, and I know this too. You, you don't take a cumulative group of statistics and no. throw it into one year for an MVP, but individually. Uh, in the four of the six losses, Josh has given the team the lead in the last two minutes of the game, and they, they couldn't hold it. In some games, they did; in others, uh, but he gave them the lead. He actively gave them the lead by scoring points in the last two to three minutes of a game to give his team a chance to win. And in four of the six losses, they couldn't do that. Uh, in a lot of their wins, they were able to do it. So you know, but that's Josh um, scoring the points that gives him a chance. You know, the fact that when he takes over, he takes over a game like nobody else. Uh, Miami Dolphins are the perfect example of that. In their first game, nobody had as good a game in the league as Josh Allen did in the first game against Miami. And he followed it up with another one.
0: Yeah. Here's the problem in my estimation, okay? There is a national narrative out there that Josh is a turnover machine. You can use the numbers to back up that argument and – When that is the national narrative, and he is on national television seven times this season, including Sunday, and he has three turnovers in the last nationally televised game in the league in the regular season, and he has four turnovers in the first nationally televised game that they had this season, it supports that narrative, right, wrong, or indifferent. And guess what? If people repeat that narrative enough, there are people out there who believe it. Right. I mean, all you got to look is they don't at look at is, the other stuff. All you got to look at is some of the political campaigns of the last ten years <laughs> to tell you that if you have if you create a narrative long enough, enough people will believe it to vote for you. So it's the same here, unfortunately, to Josh Allen's detriment. If you ask just a fan watching this game that is not a fan of the Bills, not a fan of the Dolphins, what plays pick five plays from the game that you remember, they're going to remember two of Josh's picks in the end zone. They're not going to remember him running for 15 yards on a third and 13, carrying a linebacker, and bursting through two defensive backs for a first down. That's MVP-worthy stuff, along with everything else that he does for this football team. But if you ask the average NFL fan to pick out five plays from that game, they're going to pick the two picks in the end zone. They just right. are.
1: And they also, and also, they, they don't... At their fingertips, have the same narrative for other guys in the conversation. Like he's he's got like three more turnovers than the next guy, who's by the way is Pat Mahomes or Pat Mahomes. Um, he tied Tua Tonga Valoa for a touchdown passes on the season, and then added 15 rushing touchdowns. Tua has zero. Um, I mean, it's it's not. There are some. While the turnover thing is is real, and Josh does lead the league in turn in interceptions. I mean, nobody can touch him for the other stats. The rushing touchdowns, the yardage, uh, the total touchdowns, the total yardage, all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I just think there's way too much that Josh did for the Buffalo Bills and what he means to this team as opposed to other quarterbacks in the league, Lamar Jackson included.
0: He had 426 yards of offense on Sunday. Right. I mean, it's, he's MVP in spades, but the national narrative – works against him. And and when he inadvertently supports that narrative with the turnover, I mean he had three turnovers Sunday. To me, that killed his MVP chances. If he has four touchdown passes Sunday night and they win by twenty, I think he's in the running. I I think he's got a legitimate look at it. I think he's got to look at it. He's
1: in the running now. I I mean to get enough votes to Um, win it. I think he's yeah, he's in the conversation, no question about it. And and people who it, it and some of it comes down to what each voter's interpretation of it is. Is it the best player on the best team? Then you got to think about a 49er or a Baltimore Raven, a Lamar. Uh, if it's the guy who means the most to their team, then you got to open it up to everybody else. And, you know, Josh certainly leads that group. I mean, there's yeah. no way – and you may be right. This team might be a four- or five-win team, six-win team without Josh. Uh, with Josh, they're the two-seed in the conference. I mean, that's I yeah. mean, I, I yeah, i I think Josh is the MVP this year. no question about it. i'm you know, I'm not shy about saying it. St- I think the stats do more to support it than you know shout it down. Um, but you're right, Brownie's right. Uh, once that gets out there and and you see it on TV where he throws it away and then nobody really comes back to on the broadcast they don't really mention he's got four hundred plus yards of total offense
0: yeah you know they don't, they don't the only person that's done that is Mike
1: Greenberg right and on then you look, ESPN. and then you look at the the last drive when they're th- third, when they're third and thirteen and he shrugs off Quinin Williams and runs through two defensive backs uh in five yards to get the first down I mean I mean, that, nobody else makes that play. Nobody. Um, and he does in a game they had to have. I, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, I, Josh is the MVP for me. Certainly that doesn't say anything like that, that Lamar stinks no. or, or Brock Purdy stinks or Christian McCaffrey stinks or Tyreek stinks. Josh is more important and he played better all year than any of those guys.
0: Agreed. Got to take a break here. One final segment to go on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Uh, Let's quickly squeeze in a phone call. Joe, are you there? I got a story about a friend of mine. Uh, He reached out last week
6: and wanted to make a bet about the Dolphins game. Uh, He said that basically the loser would have to wear the winner's jersey and sing the winner's uh, fight song and then have it uh, posted to Facebook. Rather, I like this. Um, So I know. I know me too. Uh, Obviously, I signed up. Uh, We all know what happened with the game. And it turns out that he hasn't done it yet, but in the process of Hardy's kick return, he actually inflicted damage on one of his televisions in frustration. Wow. So I wanted all of Bill's mafia and you guys obviously to know that there is a Dolphins fan in Rochester that damaged a perfectly good working television uh, just to express his frustration over the kick return and ultimately the
0: loss. Wow. That is uh, something else. We've we've seen footage sometimes, Steve. We've seen footage sometimes. A lot of fun stuff. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. All right, we'll see you at one.